This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. But as we get started today, can I ask you a question? How are you doing? How, I mean, and, and we, we all got an answer that we give this time of year. I'm doing good. Just, just a little busy. But really, are, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay right now? I mean, it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Right? It's supposed to be. But, but for some of us, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad because there, there's somebody that we love and, and we've lost them and we're going through a special time of the year and we feel that. For some of us, this is stressful. So, some of y'all in the next 48 hours have 17 Christmases to get to, okay? It's stressful, okay? And for some of us, it's just downright busy, I mean, if we get real honest about things real quick, Christmas can easily become a season of busy. It can become a season of busy. And I've thought about this so much as we've kind of stepped into this season, especially for me and my family. I've noticed that busy is the enemy of peace. Busy is the enemy of peace. We can get busy doing a lot of good things. And those good things can become the enemy of living a life that's filled with peace. And if you've paid attention, Christmas is supposed to be a season of peace. If you go back to the original declaration from the angels in Luke chapter 2, you remember that the the angels come and they visit the, the shepherds. And the angel says, glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him, who please God. There's there's peace in this invitation. There's peace in this announcement. If you even reverse field and go all the way back to the prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible says, this is the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus is born. He says, for, for, look at this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called, and I love that he, he lists multiple names because it's as if he's saying, and, and, and we, we know this, it's as if he's saying all that he's going to be can hardly be contained in one name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Then look at what it says next. And his government, his rule and reign, and its peace will never end. The message of Christmas is a declaration of peace. It is a declaration of peace. And this is a peace that for you, I I want you to, to sense this from the heart of God tonight. This is a peace that goes beyond your problems. 
In the book of Philippians, this peace is described as a peace that passes my understanding. I will not even understand. It won't even make sense to me. I mean, just logically and rationally, there will be times that God will offer us peace, will give us peace, and even in those moments, rationally, it won't make sense. Because it's a supernatural peace. It's a God-given peace. And when God promises peace, there's something that's being implied. The promise of peace implies the presence of a problem. When God promises us peace, He is acknowledging. He, he's literally looking at our lives and saying, I see that there are things in your life that would keep you from having peace, I'm going to give you a peace that doesn't even attach itself to your understanding. It is bigger than your rationale. It is bigger than your understanding of the world that you live in. It's bigger. It's acknowledging there's problems. And I don't know if you're like me, but man, it's been a wild few years. I mean, it was, what, two years ago, we were going into 2020, and, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of pastors, and we like to, you know, come up with clever things to say, especially with New Year's, right? And it was 2020. This is the year we've got God's vision. We're going to have 2020 vision, and nobody knew what in the world was about to happen. I mean, we've had a lot of problems in the last two years, haven't we? Just think about me, just real quickly, what have been our problems in the last two years? I'm, I'm going to go through some, and I, and I want you just to acknowledge them, okay? I'm not, I'm not picking sides in these. I just want you to acknowledge that culturally, our nation and our, and our region, our, our county, our city, our families, we've walked through these. And the first one is political disagreements. I mean, some of y'all have lived long enough to remember times when I could say I support this candidate and it didn't end up in a, in a yelling match. It didn't end up in like, I can't be friends with you anymore. But something has happened in the last several years to the political climate that we live in and it's become very divisive. In political agreements where there was discussion, which is healthy and good and should exist, especially if you're a believer, has moved to not just disagreements, but disengagement. And I don't want to listen to anybody who sees the world from a different perspective. In a room this size, with just this many people, there are people in here that have had relationships in the last several years that have changed and the dynamics of them have changed just simply because of politics. Another problem that we've walked through is what I would call a, a cultural distortion. Culture is the way we live. It's the way we understand the world that we live in. And the problem with our understanding of our culture is it is limited to our experience in our culture. So when this person over here says, well, this is going on, and we go, well, I've never experienced that, it is so easy to go, well, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Our perception 
is distorted. And it's those people that can't seem to get it right and they don't seem to understand it. And it's just all been distorted. And it would be negligent to not even acknowledge the fact that there have been so many economic disruptions in the last several years. So many people who have lost jobs, who've been forced to change jobs because their, their company or their small business was not able to do what it was doing. And, and all of those things, so many disruptions. And it bears asking, what is peace? What is peace? Now, I want to be your pastor for a moment, okay? So let me help you. Because because culturally, what the world wants to feed you is that you will have peace when you don't have problems. That's what the world wants to tell you. There's some of us, y'all are moms and dads like our age, and you, you literally believe One day I'm going to come home and the kids are going to do everything I say. The rooms are going to be clean. It's all going to go perfect one day. Some of y'all raise kids and you're like, that ain't ever happened. We're sold this lie that peace is the, the absence of problems. Let me give you a simple understanding of peace. Peace is found when that which is out of order is brought back into its right order. So imagine that you you got a puzzle for Christmas and you 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 dump it out onto the table and you you look at it and you know that there's something beautiful in all the pieces but all you can see is chaos. All you can see is brokenness. All you can see is disorder. And and what happens you, you get to work and you start bringing things back into the place that they were designed to be and the more you work the more that it comes to peace. Peace is when it is all brought into its right alignment. When the problem that was separating everything, that was distorting it, breaking it, is brought back into agreement with each other. So go back to this with peace and and problems. What's our real problem? Now here's where I want to unmask this for a moment. Okay? Because politicians want to sell us that that our real problem is that we have the wrong elected officials. Cultural distortions want want to tell us that that it's not not my fault, it's those people, and if those people could get their act together, we'd all be better. That's if you listen to the world. But if you listen to God, it's real simple. Our problem is sin. That's our problem. And that problem will stay the problem no matter who you blame, no matter who gets elected. And here's the beautiful news of Christmas. Jesus was born for a purpose. Did you know that? It's not just a story we tell. It's not just a baby in a manger that we coddle and coo over. There was a purpose to this story. There was something that was happening. And it's apparent from the very beginning. During this series, we've leaned into Joseph and, and Mary and, 
and the, the tension of having been betrothed and agreed upon it. And, and then, you know, medical science has improved a lot in 2,000 years, but I'm, I'm pretty sure 2,000 years ago they knew what caused pregnancy. And so when Mary showed up and said, I'm pregnant, I'm pretty sure Joseph was caught way off guard. There was confusion. There's sadness and, and, and brokenness, felt dark. And he was considering divorcing her when God intersects the story in the very first gospel, Matthew, in the very first chapter, from the very beginning. It's apparent. Look at this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Look at this. This is the what's happening. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. But here's the why. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to bring peace into your relationship with God. By saving you from your sins. Sin had disrupted, had brought disorder. Sin had separated you from the purposes that God had. And Jesus was born to bring all of that back into its right purpose, into its right order. Our lives looked like the puzzle spilled out onto the floor. But Jesus... And the, the miracle of his birth, the whole purpose of this, this message that we call a gospel, the whole purpose was to bring it back into its right order. This is the gospel of Jesus. You know that word gospel means good news? And I've said this throughout the series because I just feel like we need to hear it again. The, the gospel is still good news. The message of Jesus, where you're at today, what you're going through, it is still good news for you. And the good news of Jesus is this, that we were sinners, that we had broke our life, and, and that through sin we had invited death and destruction, but then the cross of Jesus changes everything because the cross is where Jesus paid the penalty of my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When I sin, when I allow sin to live in my life, sin in its simplest construction, in its simplest conception, sin gives birth to death. It gives birth to it. The wages of sin is death. I owed death. And Jesus said, I'll pay that. I'll pay that for you. You don't have to pay it. I'll pay it. And you know that, that verse in Romans, the, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. What, a, what an amazing promise. Life that doesn't end with death. This is the message of the gospel because the message of the gospel doesn't end at the cross. It doesn't end at the death of Jesus. It ends with a Savior who came back to life, who walked out of the tomb, who was alive 2,000 years ago, who is alive today and will be alive forevermore. 
That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the resurrection, what we see is the resurrection is the assurance that sin doesn't get the final word. Sin doesn't get the final word. God does. You know, the gospel in its essence creates peace. The the body of Jesus broken. The resurrected person of Jesus. This is an invitation into peace. Why? Because sin creates division and disorder, but the gospel invites us into unity. It invites it all back together. And I don't know if you've been there. I know some of you. And I know some of your stories. And I know where you've been. And I know that that in your life, even recently for some of you, there have been times that you, you have felt like you have been broken into a thousand pieces. Like I'm just try, I'm trying to hold it all together, but I can't. I feel like my life is just it's sifting through my hands like sand. I, I can't hold it. I'm trying. That's what sin does. Sin breaks things. It broke the body of Jesus. Sin will break your marriage. It'll break your kids if you let it, let it live in your family. It'll, it'll break friendships. It'll break your business. It'll break your finances. Sin breaks things. And some of y'all felt that. And, it, and, and for some of us, just acknowledge it in the room. Besides, it's, it's not just the, the stuff we've done. Sometimes it's the stuff somebody else did. And it, and it happened to us. And it left us broken and hurt and messed up. But at Christmas, we're reminded of this. See this. That it's God that holds our lives together. The peace that we have is not a peace that we earned. It's a peace that came through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's actually, I want you to see this tonight as we celebrate communion. It's declared to us in the Lord's Supper. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. I hope you have your little TSA approved, prepackaged communion we're going to have we're going to take the bread first and just in all honesty it's not really bread it tastes a lot more like cardboard just going to pre-warn you ahead of time it's bread and tonight we're going to go to first corinthians 11 where the apostle paul is is sharing with the corinthian church the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, of communion, which we're going to take tonight. And I, I want to make some observations because I want you to see something in what we're about to do that I believe many of us have never paid attention to. Notice this. 
For I, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread. Now, this was not uncommon, okay? They were celebrating the Passover. It, it's, it, this was Jewish tradition for that night. They, they were celebrating a traditional meal. There was unleavened bread. And he, he did something that was unusual with the bread because he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. The friends sitting around that table had no idea what was going to happen to him in the next few hours. Literally just hours later, he's going to be arrested as he's betrayed by a friend. Throughout the night, He's held in um, the high priest's quarters. Most scholars believe he was beaten throughout the night. He's starved. He's not given access to food or water. In the morning, very early in the morning, he's taken to the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate would have been installed by the, by the Roman Empire to make sure that its laws were enforced. He had the legal precedent, the legal power to, to give an a announcement and, and to announce a judgment over Jesus. And his wife had warned him, don't, don't mess with, there, something's going to happen with that Jesus guy today, don't mess with him. But when they brought Jesus to him, the, the crowd seemed so behind the accusations that Pilate, to try to deter them, from the charge of execution, orders Jesus to be scourged. Now, this is graphic, but, but in a moment like this, we need to hear this. Jesus was ordered to receive 39 out of 40 lashes. He would have been strapped over a large rock. And then they took what was known as the cat of nine tails. It was, it was a, a huge whip. And, and, and to increase the punishment that it would inflict, they, they would sew rocks and bones into it. And when the, the whip would come in contact with, with flesh, the, those rocks and those bones would, would dig into the flesh, and then it would be pulled back, and it would just rip the flesh open. Most men, that were sentenced to be scourged, died from that experience alone. Jesus is beaten. He's, he's not even recognizable anymore. His body and his flesh are destroyed. And then they bring him back to Pilate, hoping that he's satisfied everybody, and they're not. And so Pilate orders his execution. To crucify someone is so obscenely cruel that it is today outlawed worldwide. It is one of the most horrific ways that human beings have ever devised to execute someone else. 
It's a grueling moment by moment by moment. Step just inching towards death. And Jesus was crucified. His, his bones were broken. His body was broken. He bled and he died. And that was the effect of our sin. Do you remember what it said? That he took the, the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. When, when we get to this moment in communion, it, it should be sobering. Because when we take the bread and we start to chew, we, we need to be reminded of the effects of our sin. This is what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin breaks things. And we need to be reminded that our disobedience, our rebellion against God is what invites into our life brokenness. It should be sobering. With every bite, we're reminded of the effects of our sin. Not just in our lives, but onto the body of Jesus Christ. What did he say? This is my body. That was broken for you. Let's take the bread. Father God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. body broken on our behalf. Help us never to let that be a sterile, emotionless fact. Help our hearts to continually be moved by the fact that it was our sin that broke your body. That when we get to this moment in the Lord's Supper, we're, we're reminded of how devastating and impactful our sin is. Not, not just to the body of Jesus, but to the, the totality of our lives. God, help us to, in these moments, to be sobered by the effects of our sin. A body broken for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. But it didn't stop there, did it? Now I'm going to make an, an, an observation. You, you, if, if you've done this before, you know what comes next. This is the bread. This is my body that was broken. Here's the cup. This is my blood of a new promise. The, even in communion, the, the, the body and the blood, which hours later when Jesus is celebrating communion, all of this stuff is working in perfect harmony. His heart is pumping. His lungs are breathing. His bones are intact. But in just a few hours when sin is poured out onto Jesus, that which was in unity, that which was together is separated. The body is broken and the blood is poured out. See, at the cross, the blood and the body were separated by our sin. That which was whole which was good, which was God-designed, that which was living in purpose. When, when the body of Jesus encountered sin, all that was in unity came into disorder. 
So read this next part through those lens or through the lens of that perspective. Look at this. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after the supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God's and his people. Now, now covenant means promise. This is a new promise. This is a new promise. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. My blood is signing this agreement. My blood is signing this promise. If you needed a way to guarantee it, if you needed a way to lock it, my blood is the, the payment for this promise. Do this in remembrance of me as you drink it. And then Paul tells us, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I, I love there's something that you might miss in that. If he's coming again, that means he's alive. So you take the cup, right? When we, when we take the body, we, we take the bread, we, we chew it, we're, we're reminded of how devastating sin is. But, but when we take the cup, it, it, it washes it down, doesn't it? It, it, it cleans. We, we, most of us keep a glass of water or, or something around when we're eating, and, and we'll use the phrase, it's just there so I can wash it down, because it cleans. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It cleans. It is the cleansing power of God's grace that was spilled out, poured out in His blood, the blood that never loses its power, the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. It's the blood of Jesus that's represented in the cup. And when we take it, we're reminded that we are never clean because of our efforts. We are never clean because we get it right. We are never clean. We are never right before God because of how right we are. We are right because He got it right on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's exactly what this is about. The cleansing of the blood of Jesus. This is the cup of a new promise that is secured in my blood. Take the cup. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the power of the blood, the, the blood that washes all our sin away. And God, we thank you in this moment that we can be made whole. Not through our own efforts, but through the power of your sacrifice. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the death. Thank you for the blood poured out on our behalf in the name of Jesus. We pray. So think about this with me as I wrap this up. Here's my body that is broken for you. Here's my blood that is poured out for you. Take this and take this. This is separated. It was separated by sin. But the act of communion is actually an act where, where we symbolically receive the work of Jesus Christ into our lives. This is a, an act where we're, we're saying that I, I believe in the broken body and I receive the work of the blood. And you know what? This is so powerful. I want you to see this tonight. That God is showing us that that which was broken 
through sin, when we receive the gift from God, it comes back into us and comes back into unity. Which is why the Bible says in Colossians that it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. When we were in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. I can't imagine that. God showed up and went on walks. And when they sinned, God had to, had to get away because that's what sin does. Sin creates distance. But leave it to the God of the universe to get closer after the fall to us than he was before because he now lives in us. God's redemptive love brings the body and the blood back into unity within us. And some of y'all feel like if I could just try a little bit harder, I might be able to hold it all together. It wouldn't have all fallen apart if I, if I, this is a reminder. This is so good. It's a reminder that God is holding it all together. That it's, it's this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The redemption of, of his life sacrificed on the cross and the overcoming of death when he rose to new life. That this is what holds our lives together. It's not how hard we work and how much we try. It's trusting in the goodness and grace of God. When we receive the gift of Jesus, he holds it all together. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.